Hey everybody, and welcome back to BRIM, a global community at the intersection of climate innovation and justice. My name is Thomas Guest, and I'm so excited to have you back here for the first episode of 2023. And we couldn't imagine a better way to kick off the new year than by speaking with a new friend, Ahmad Hamwi. We met in person at COP27 in Egypt, and I'm so excited for others to hear his story. He's a social entrepreneur, a business coach, an inspirational speaker, and I hope you enjoy. Take care, everybody. Okay. Well, everybody, welcome back to Brim. This is the first episode of 2023. And I couldn't have, yeah, I was about to say, I couldn't imagine starting off on a better note than with Ahmad Hamwi. And Ahmad is a new friend from two months ago. We met at COP27 in Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt and uh have become fast friends uh but i'll uh i'll hand it over to you ahmad it's great to great to see you again and thank you for being here thanks thomas uh it's it's great to see you too and yeah it's it's only been two months honestly it feels much longer we've shared so many stories uh we've bonded on uh on many things good and bad (laughs) yeah it's it's been uh, it's been beautiful and um, meeting you at COP was also beautiful because that was one of my favorite trips that I have ever taken. Um, that yeah. trip was magical in every sense of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, so great to be here. And thank you for allowing me to be part of this. Of course. And um, I should tell everybody to start off. We met when you were winning an award at COP27. Uh, for the Africa Grows Green Awards. Um, and I'm sure we'll get much more into all of that. But uh, to start off, you have so many amazing stories from from your past, uh, your childhood growing up, um, but also into your your current day life. So I'm wondering if you if you could share a little bit about your time in Lebanon and getting to Zambia. What was that like? And tell us a little bit about where you're from. Yeah, well, um, look, uh, I never had to really think back that long uh, for my climate story, as as you call it. Uh, I've always started it from the past few years when I actually started advocacy and so on. But uh, you pushed me to 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 connect all the dots together, and it it's it's been beautiful uh, writing uh, uh, my story for for Brian. Awesome. Uh, so first. Thank you for Brian itself. I think uh, it's an amazing platform and it's not just another thing to read. You know, it's it's something to connect and make sense of. So without further ado, let me start with, awesome. with me being six years old. I had two passions in life, two focus areas, and they are completely opposite. One side, I loved nature being in the forest and on the other side i liked electronics so what used to happen is 
we we lived in the outskirts of Lebanon, that's outskirts of Beirut, sorry. Um, and uh, just next to our house, if you walk for like 10 minutes, there was a mountain and a forest in that mountain. So that's where I used to spend most of my weekends, my holidays. I can go there for the whole day, don't bother any parents and so on. I take my food with me and that's it, I'm gone. So there I'll just like notice the trees, the different things, even the insects, how they're moving, the water, the rivers. That's, that was my favorite place in the world. And then on days where I couldn't go out of the house, I was now my other personality. And I was looking at electronics and trying to understand how they work. So I'd use any tool that comes in my hand to try to open these things and see how they work. For some reason, my parents hid all the tools in the house. So I had to be innovative, you know? For some, for some reason. <laughs> so I had to use like knives and toothpicks and whatever, but I still managed to open things, um, the radio, the, the iron, the TV, whatever it is that comes in my hand, uh, which was very good. And uh, it gave me a lot of uh, inside, inside things. But the problem was that only by the time I reached 12 years old that I knew how to put things back together. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had a few destructive years, but then that, that, was the, that was the beginning, yeah. So um, awesome. fast forward a little bit. I started university. I decided to study computer science and software engineering because... I can see how things work, the mechanics of it and so on. But I didn't know how it thinks, how it can do that. So studying software engineer just added for me how to, to understand how things really work. And it was super beautiful because when you dive in the, in the development uh, field, you don't only stick to what's there. You can go much beyond. So you can add functionalities. You can create things. And you can start creating words, like worlds, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I'm talking about games or movies or animation. or I used to do all that just like for fun, you know? Cool. So, so that was, what, uh, that was the, the good part. And then um, I graduated, started working as an e-learning administrator because I loved education. Uh, then in 2014, I got the opportunity to visit Zambia for the first time. And that was because uh, an uncle of mine had some businesses in Zambia. And I came here for a visit uh, in, my, in my summer break. Um, I came here for a week only, but that was enough for me to fall in love. Wow. Before that, I forgot a very important part. <laughs> Yeah. In my childhood. I'm sorry. I got excited to jump. <laughs> no worries. Go so, for it. So remember that mountain where, where I used to play and spend most of my time yeah. with, the, with the insects, with the frogs and the ponds and all that. So, so that dream got shattered because that same mountain, bit by bit, machines started coming and eating that mountain. And they started constructing these buildings on that same place. And it started shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. In the end, there was no more mountain. There was only uh, buildings there. 
And the, the problem was on, on two sides for me. On one side, they took away my, my place. And on the other side, the construction has caused me uh, severe asthma reactions because I had asthma since I was a kid. So uh, I was rushed to the hospital every, every week or so. Uh, I lose my breath and so on. So it really affected me emotionally and physically and in every way, uh, destroying the nature and destroying my health. And that was, that was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So now back, fast forward, jump yeah. forward. Back. Yeah. So uh, I came to Zambia and I found this whole nature that is still intact in a lot of places. I found Victoria Falls, the biggest waterfalls in the world. Uh, Gorgeous. And I found um, Siavonga, which was the biggest man-made lake uh, in the world. And beautiful nature, a lot of animals, lions, whatever you want, it's it's there. So it was really beautiful. And um, opposite to what people think, that people live with the lions next to them, you know? (laughs) Uh, there's roads, there's malls, there's, uh, there's a beautiful city where you can live. And then you drive one, two hours away, you go to the nature, you can do camping, you can do safari, you can do all that. So it was just perfect for, for what I wanted, what I really loved. And I felt like a kid again, being in that nature. And that's why a few months after that, I decided to come to Zambia. So uh, I got the opportunity to run one of my uncle's company because he doesn't live in Zambia. And they had a change at that point. They needed someone to to take care of the company. So I came as the executive director for Rototanks, which which is uh, the biggest agri-tech company in Zambia. Um, And we started working on it. Uh, it's, It's quite cool. We work with a lot of farmers. We do drip irrigation. We show them how to use the resources properly, fertilizers and so on. Then from there, we acquired a piece of land by Siavonga, by the lake, where we started commercial farming. Uh, and that was uh, that went great and also taught me a lot about farming because we got some experts who showed me more about precision farming and how from the same hectare you can get 10 times more by doing precision farming. Mm. So that was very insightful and uh, I learned a lot from there. So I worked in those uh, two uh, fields for about five years. And then I decided to branch on my own. So um, in 2017, I created a company called Green Future. And the essence of green future was to to try to use agriculture products, import and export, and push the agriculture sector and the food systems in Zambia forward. And I've done a lot of several uh, projects under green future uh, related to, to all these different activities. Cool. Fast forward a few more years, uh, which now comes to um, 2021. In 2021, um, there was a challenge. It was a competition in Paris uh, by Viva Tech. And the challenge was to find an application for using satellites in space. And uh, when I saw that competition, 
it just clicked in my head that what I need to do. So another thing that I did as a kid, I had all these fluorescent stars all over my ceiling. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I love that stuff. Uh, that was like me going, yeah. So, so it was perfect. Like it's my geeky side. And then I now added to it my nature side because I decided to use the satellites to help with agriculture and climate change. So awesome. the idea I came up with is a lot of companies around the world, satellite companies, get satellite information and gives it to experts who cleans it and play with it and then give it to agronomists who will go and do advice on that. That process itself, first, it's very lengthy and two, it's very costly. And having worked in, uh, in Zambia in the agriculture field and done uh, commercial farming, I know that it costs you about $500 to do a soil composition test for, for your farm. And that doesn't suit most of the uh, farmers around Zambia and Africa or the world even. Um, and this is why I created this AI. So now it goes back to me being a software engineer. I decided to create this AI that replaces the job of those experts and agronomists and data analysts all in one and get satellite data from multiple satellites, place with them through an algorithm that we created and then give actionable insights to the people without them even having to know anything related to satellites. So if you are, Thomas, if you are a farmer anywhere in the world, all you need to do is get your phone, whether it's a smartphone or a dumb phone, as we call them, and dial a short code. It will triangulate where you are and gives you information about your soil. What's the best crop to put there? What fertilizer you should put there? What water you should put there? And that has the potential to increase your yields and to change you completely from being gambling, as we call it in, uh, in agriculture, because you don't know if it's gonna work or not. You can put tomatoes and it doesn't grow. You can put this, it doesn't grow. So it removes that gamble factor from you without getting to pay $500, $1,000 to, to check the areas. And it reduces it to $10. Mm -hmm. So what I'm selling for the farmers is now an application that costs you $10 per month as a subscription. And you can click every day on it to get updates about your farm compared to a manual soil composition that takes one to two weeks to get the results and costs you $500. So, so this invention um, has grown a lot through the past two years and it's been ups and downs a lot of ups and downs of uh, but it has uh, landed me a lot of awards around the world so we yeah, want to keep rolling in they keep rolling in i think i i only saw <laughs> one of many that might have happened at cop 27 and then even since then i feel like it's just been a a, a rolling list and Congratulations yeah, on the success so far. It's been beautiful. And um, other than just winning awards, I was invited to NASA, which, which is 
one of my that that was going to be one of my next questions because well well, first of all I, I love I love the story of the sort of combination of interests between the forest you know the trees in Lebanon are very famous right so yeah. um you know I I've only recently learned about is it the is it the um the trees yes exactly um combined with technology both the hardware and the software side and then also this this interest in education as well from the e-learning component it, it's a lot of interesting intersectional um components that are all coming out in this initiative but also some of the other stuff you're working on but i guess zeroing in for a second on ignite a space um one of my first questions for you in person i remember when we met was where are you getting all of this satellite data right <laughs> like did you create a satellite and throw it up into space and you're like no i been doing some some more serious work on that. Tell us a little bit about coming to Los Angeles. Yeah, well, um, last July on my birthday, uh, NASA awarded me a visit to their to their offices in in LA. Uh, I also visited uh, Virgin Orbit, which was pretty cool. Also, um, so NASA's interest. Um, was to find out more about what what I'm doing. And then they urged me to patent the the invention and uh, try to incorporate in the US also uh, as a way for for me to spread my wings around the world because using satellites, it's global. You're not limited to any borders. Um, So that's, that's the good part. Now, where I get the data from, there's plenty of different satellites. There's not one satellite that can give you all the data that you need. So for example, to find out where you can put rice in Zambia, for example, to have a map for that, it requires 10 different data points. And these data points don't all come from the same satellite. So it's a combination of satellites, some from NASA, some from ESA, some from South Africa, from Kenya. So we find the satellites that can give us the data points that we need and we combine them together, we layer that data on top of each other, and then it will make sense in the end. And now when someone clicks on that app, this click locates where they are and goes and check with each of these satellites in the background and combines that data, translate it into something that makes sense to them and then tells them, you can plant this crop here or you can't plant it, and that's it. They don't need to know anything that's happening in the background. Got it. Very, very interesting. And you also have a a funding model in place that helps farmers pay for access to the application. Did I do I remember that right? Uh, kind of, yeah. So, um, although it's only ten dollars per month, um, but still, I want uh, the farming support programs to pay for it not the farmer themselves, right. because first they have access to these farmers, but second, they are the ones who are in contact directly with the farmer. They give them the seeds and the fertilizer. So they need to give them also the data for them to be able to really grow things properly and take care of their farms. So instead of just giving them two things, now they're gonna give them three things. Uh, and I'd rather work with these companies who know exactly what these farmers need 
and they can provide it to them and they are the first line of contact with them rather than working with each farmer one by one uh, that might be uh, hard to reach yeah for sure so these are these are farming groups that are responsible for supporting um, different farms around them so these are everyone <laughs> they are farming groups uh, collectives, um, cooperatives, but they are also NGOs like WWF or GIZ. It could be also the, the Ministry of Agriculture or uh, some funding programs. So there's a lot of people who work with farmers in different capacities. And many of them have already showed interest. For example, Cotton Board of Zambia, who under them there's 400,000 farmers in all different regions of Zambia, they're all growing uh, cotton together. And in the end of the season, cotton board comes and collects all this cotton and export it. So cotton board needs a way for them to see what's happening in all the farms, maybe later on predict how much they're gonna get in, in the season and multiple different things, diseases and fires and floods, so many different things. And we can provide all that data in one dashboard, all your 400,000 farmers in one dashboard. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know it's such an exciting, it's such an exciting concept and clearly, um, you know, it's gaining really impressive traction. And I love the way that you frame it as well. Um, as you tell people the story, you know, part of the story you tell about yourself is that you are building Zambia's first ever space company right yeah. and i think that that's a really it's an exciting angle to the issue because you're starting with farmers but there are probably so many other applications for how you can help out in different climate scenarios that you even mentioned a few in terms of um you know maybe it's alarm systems for flooding or for fires or for um you know adaptation approaches that don't net degradation, soil degradation, water mm. quality. Uh, but even it, it goes beyond that. It even goes to road health checking. You can see the potholes on the roads. You can see the urban infrastructure that's happening. There's a lot of things that you can do, definitely. Awesome. I remember a conversation with, um, with someone from NASA. So he was telling me when he wanted to build his house in, um, in L.A., uh, now there's, um, I think it's called rosewood. There's a tree That's right. uh, that, that is protected and you're not allowed to cut it in the U.S. So uh, when he went to, to build, so they said, oh, we can't, we can't give you the license to build unless we send a team to check that there is no rosewood trees there. And that team was taking forever to go and check because they have a backlog. So this guy just went to Google Earth and zoomed in, zoomed in and showed the people, look, this is the satellite. There's no trees in this place. Can you give me the license? <laughs> and it actually pushed them to say, you know what? Yeah, it, it, we can see that. Like there's no trees in this area. So go ahead. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see, to see where you take it. Um, but at this point in time, I remember you said you're working with your first collection of farmers 
to start to get a sense of, you know, what challenges are they facing um, and starting to build out from there, right? Is that is that uh, sort of the story and where you're at right now? Yes, it is. Um, not only to understand about them, but also to make a product that they understand. Remember, my, my initial goal is to bridge the gap between the high tech and the users who need it. Now, if you come to a farmer who's most likely tech illiterate and tell him your NDVI index is very high, he'll be like, okay, so, <laughs> you know, they wouldn't understand. And, and that's the problem with most of the dashboards uh, out there that they don't really explain what does that data mean. And just a normal person cannot, even if they have access to that platform, cannot really understand what that means. So this is what we're trying to do on the ground. When I created a report for, for these farmers and I gave them, I said, sorry, we don't understand. So the agronomist explained to them, and then we did the second iteration. Now, instead of saying that, we're saying, okay, plant health, your plants and this side are not healthy. But even that wasn't really effective for them. So we said, okay, and this side of your thing, you need to go and check for pests or diseases or water or so on. So farmers need something more than what we just understand. They have their own lingo. And we're trying to get that lingo for the AI to learn it so we can really serve the farmer and not be there every time he needs to check for something. Awesome. Well, I, I can imagine how important this will be moving forward over the next few decades and centuries, just in terms of the amount of increased food we're going to need to feed our world. Yeah. Right? I think it's some crazy expectation of needing to double or triple the amount of food produced in the next you know, couple decades. So um, I'm really excited to see what role you all play in that. And I also, you need to remind me to, to put you in touch with um, Forget Sharika, um, who's part of BRIM's Global Working Group. But I think I mentioned you to, uh, her to you in Egypt, but she's working with a collection of farmers in Zimbabwe. Um, and they have built this incredible fresh fruit, fresh fruit and vegetable marketplace. And I think that there would probably be a lot of farmers in that community that would be interested in piloting this out. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so yeah, remind so, me. So, so another thing, Thomas, that, uh, that we didn't touch on is my, yeah. my other side of life, which is now uh, the astropreneur side. Yes, so, please. Um, so the other side of me is I'm a business coach uh, and with main focus on startups and entrepreneurs. And I'm an advocate for climate change. I'm an advocate for youth and women inclusion. And I'm an advocate for education and definitely agriculture. Um, and all that now makes sense because of my career because I started more than 10 companies within my path uh, of doing different things. And it all comes together where now I need to start helping the people achieve their dreams and get on the right track. And it's been going really well. Uh, I love it. Uh, I've, I've helped more than maybe a thousand uh, entrepreneurs by now. And uh, well, 
with the entrepreneur side of things, which is under Green Future, and with uh, Ignitus, my, my space company, my goal for 2025 is to touch 1 million lives. And that's a huge number. But I love if it. it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. That's right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I definitely need to make sure everyone starts to to follow and become aware of the astropreneur journey too. Because I think, you know, the Ignitus space is, like you said, you know, one part of your journey, um, you know, a massive one at that. But it's also baked into this larger strategy you have of teaching other people about what you've learned along the way. Um, and you're very unselfish about sharing those lessons too, which I think is really important and sort of goes back into that intersection of, of education and technology and, and forestry. So I, I love that. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, uh, recent uh, discussions that are happening that we might, it's still a might, we might let go of the name Ignitus Space because we're merging with another company. Uh, we still haven't figured out the name, but this is gonna be even bigger and better than, than what it is. So uh, I'll update you as soon as I have news. Amazing. Plant the seed, make us wait for it. It's great. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, you know, one, one thing that I wanted to ask just before we jump off and you've been so, um, You've been so unselfish with your time today as well, but I'm curious from, from your experience, you know, growing up in Lebanon and then moving to Zambia and working in both places and having family in both places, um, you know, one thing we talked a lot about was the globalization of our world, right, and the future of what that could look like, especially from a climate change perspective, so I'm curious for your thoughts on on where you see the cli the climate movement going, especially after just leaving COP twenty seven, um, and maybe you know what what kind of role you see yourself playing in all of that. Well, that's a very deep question. Big uh, question. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, look, I'm I'm very glad uh, that people are getting more and more aware. Uh, about about climate change and its effects on people. But um, I believe that we are barely scratching the surface on what needs to be done. Um, COP27 was beautiful, but again, there's a lot of talks uh, compared to actions. And that's because of bureaucracy mostly. Like they decide, okay, we want to do this, but implementation is 2030. You know, um, so, so that, that's always been a problem. And I believe that's a problem because it's mostly public sector led. It's governments, it's uh, NGOs who listen to governments who do it. It's not the private sector. The private sector, you give them uh, a project, they do it tomorrow and they finish it next month. The public sector, you give it a project, it approves it in two years and gives it to someone in three years, and you know, you know how it goes. So, so that's, that's one of the problems uh, I see. Uh, but overall, at least, 
we've Im implemented a lot of uh, structures on how the new company is supposed to be. You know, the biggest pollution area um, era, I believe, was the industrial revolution and so on. Now, companies are more aware, cars are more aware, the type of uh, cars and carburetors and so on. Like a lot of things have changed. So we are heading towards the right way. And I hope we will get there because we need to take care of us and of our growing population. And that cannot happen if our soil is dying, if our nature is dying, because we need to eat and then that's it. We need to eat, we need to breathe. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I can say about uh, the future. And hopefully in the future, uh, we'll find other planets, <laughs> but that's, that's something for another day. Yeah, for now, I'm definitely uh, Team Earth, and I'm excited to work with you to, to figure out how we can build a future that's sustainable and here. Um, I also totally agree with your points around COP27 and the bureaucracy. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of what's most exciting. One of the most exciting things about BRIM is I think the the hope for building a bottom up coalition of young people who are ready to work on this issue um, and don't want to play into the theatrical games of uh, how many governments approach the problem. So um, lots of exciting things to work on together, Ahmad and uh, I'm excited for our ongoing friendship and um, there will be many things to, to collaborate on. So uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and, and thank you for your audience for reaching this uh, all the way to here. If they dropped out earlier, they don't get the thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, follow me. Let, let's see what we can do. Um, not only follow me, engage with me. Uh, yeah. I'm open always for collaborations in fields that I've worked in or in fields that I can connect you to someone who works in, especially that I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. So I've mostly tackled every aspect of every business possible out there. So uh, I can always recommend someone for you. So let's get connected. Let's save Earth together. <laughs> Looking forward to it, Ahmad. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen through this and hear Ahmad's story. And please keep an eye out on the horizon for a couple exciting things coming your way in 2023 from Brim. Take care, everyone.